Blog Talk Radio.
Greetings. This is Abayomi Zikawe, and welcome back to another edition of the Pan-African Journal. The Pan-African Journal is an audio news magazine. It's brought to you here on a weekly basis. I am your host, Abayomi Azikawe. Today is Saturday, January 15th, 2022. We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. Today is the 93rd anniversary, 93rd birthday of the martyr Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who was born on this day. In Atlanta, Georgia, uh, January 15th, uh, 1929. And uh, this coming Monday, uh, where we're broadcasting from in the city of Detroit, the uh, Detroit MLK Committee is presenting its 19th annual virtual uh, Martin Luther King Day rally uh, that will be held online. And uh, if you want to attend that event uh, anywhere in the United States or throughout the world, uh, just go to the MLKDetroit.org. That's MLKDetroit.org website. Or uh, you could go to uh, Facebook uh, for the MLK Day Detroit uh, Facebook page uh, to get the details on how you can register and later log in uh, to this very powerful program that is scheduled uh, for Monday, January the 17th, uh, which is the federally recognized holiday date uh, for uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., And uh, later on in our program, uh, of course, uh, we'll have more features. We'll have our Pan-African Newswire report. Uh, We'll have dispatches on the sharp criticism leveled by the Ethiopian government towards the World Health Organization's Director General, Dr. Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus. Also, uh, demonstrations continue in the Republic of Sudan against the uh, military regime, which staged a coup on October the 25th. Tunisian President Kais Saeed is the subject of ongoing protests by opposition parties on the anniversary of the fall of the government in 2011. And there has been rallies in Mali in objection to the sanctions that have been imposed by the economic community of West African states based upon the refusal of the military regime to make a speedy transition to civilian rule. In the, uh, in the second hour, uh, we pay tribute to the martyr Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. on the 93rd anniversary of his birth in the United States. Uh, we'll feature some rare uh, audio archived files um, on uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And uh, finally, uh, we uh, review some of the most pressing and burning issues taking place in Africa and indeed around the world uh, today. These and other features will be brought to you uh, during the course of our program. Stay tuned. Uh, We'll take a musical interlude, uh, and we'll be back uh, with more of our program for this week. From Abeguta City. Translation to original English. 
Tradition drop format, when jungles that to run. When nuns are drop format, hands are run after them. When nuns are jump, question for us, another thing go shell. Another thing go shell. Another thing go shell. When question drop format, question go start to run. When nuns are drop format, Answer grown up sarum when outside some question for road another thing go shallow Why you must my leg for ground You know see my leg for road Why you must my leg for ground You know see my leg for road Question done drop for Passion does that to run. Passion does that to run. Passion does that to run. Why you put your leg for road? You know this day I become. Why you put your leg for road? You know this day I become. I'm proud and proud. Now leave everything to your imagination. Another thing goes shallow. When questions are for us. Another thing goes shallow. No, 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 no. Another thing goes shallow. Another thing goes shallow. Another thing goes shallow. Another thing goes
Lord can see you for your house. Holy make the idea. Impossible. Holy make the idea. When ghosts no cash you for your house. Holy make the idea. Impossibility. Holy make the idea. Impossibilitism. Holy make the idea. Impossibilitymology. Holy make the idea. Impossibility Mologicalization Holy make the idea. When ghosts no cash you for your house. Holy make the idea.
Welcome back. And uh, you're listening to the Pan-African Journal, worldwide uh, radio broadcast uh, for today, uh, Saturday, January 15th, 2022. We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. Uh, We'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in once again to yet another edition uh, of our program. Uh, We just heard the music of uh, Fela Analapo Kuti, uh, the West African Afrobeat uh, composer and musician uh, from the album entitled Ruffle, Ruffle, Fight. And right now we want to move into our Pan-African Newswire segment, and these are some of the headlines in today's uh, Pan-African Newswire. The government of Ethiopia has sent a letter to the World Health Organization accusing its Ethiopian Director General of misconduct after a sharp criticism of the war and the humanitarian crisis going on inside the country. Ethiopia uh, nominated uh, Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus to be the head uh, of the UN Health Agency four years ago, but says he has not lived up to the integrity and professional expectation required from his office, accusing him of interfering in Ethiopia's internal affairs, according to a press release. Uh, Through these acts, uh, Tedros spread harmful misinformation and compromised WHO's reputation, independence, and credibility, according to the Ethiopian Ministry of uh, Foreign Affairs. And also related uh, to uh, Ethiopia, Sudan uh, closed uh, again the Matema crossing point with Ethiopia uh, 10 days after the resumption of cross-border movement of people and goods. On January the 10th, the military-controlled sovereign council decided to allow the Ethiopian gas trucks uh, to cross the border, saying the humanitarian decision was taken at the request of the Sudanese Ministry of Energy and Petroleum. Border security sources told the Sudan Tribune that the decision to close the Matema Galabat crossing was taken now by the Sudanese army commander-in-chief, who was also the head of the sovereign council. So until now, they did not get need an official uh, notification uh, from the Eastern Military Command to uh, reopen. And uh, in other news uh, taking place uh, across uh, the country of Sudan, security agents in civilian clothes arrested several wounded activists immediately after they were discharged from the hospital. That's according to a statement released by the Buri Neighborhood Resistance Committees. The statement further said that other activists who accompanied them have also been arrested at the gate of the Royal Care Hospital in Buri suburb east of Khartoum. On Thursday, the security forces uh, shot dead a protester and wounded 147 protesters, uh, and uh, including uh, 13 with live bullets, and that was according to the Central Committee of the Sudanese Doctors. 64 people were killed and hundreds wounded during the anti-coup demonstrations. After the coup d'etat in October of 2021, the head of the Sovereign Council, Abdel Fattah al-Burhan, issued a decree giving the General Intelligence Services, the GIS, the right to arrest people, search, monitor, and, uh, property and objects, seize funds, etc., under the state of emergency. You're listening to uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment of the Pan-African Journal. In other news, uh, in West Africa, uh, in Bamako, Mali, Thousands uh, have joined in a dem- government-sponsored rally in Mali's capital to protest new regional economic sanctions and growing pressure from the former colonizer, France, after Mali's military rulers pushed back uh, a promised election uh, by four years. 
Friday's demonstration at Bamako Independence Square drew Mali's prime minister and other ministers in the transition government, which is headed by Colonel Asimi Guaita, who installed himself as president following a second military coup last year. These sanctions have three objectives, to destabilize the institutions, to destabilize the Malian army, and to destabilize Mali. That's according to Prime Minister Jaguar Maiga. He told this uh, to the crowds. Demonstrators shouted, down with imperialism, down with ECOWAS, down with France. West Africa's 15-nation ECOWAS regional bloc imposed tougher economic sanctions on Mali last Sunday, saying the transitional government had failed to make progress towards holding a presidential election as promised by the end of February. That's 18 months after Mali's first coup d'etat that was led by Guaita as well. Now, while previous sanctions had targeted members of the ruling junta and their families, the new measures effectively freeze the Republic of Mali's assets in commercial banks. Most ECOWAS members also have stopped all air traffic to and from Bamako, though Mali has found an ally in neighboring Guinea, which is also uh, led uh, by a military coup leader. And finally, in the North African state of Tunisia, protesters uh, have scuffled with the police. Uh, that was on yesterday after crowds gathered uh, in defiance of new COVID-19 restrictions. They were there to mark the 11th anniversary of the uprising, uh, which toppled uh, the previous leader, uh, Ben Ali. Uh, police fired water cannon and tear gas at a crowd of several hundred in Tunis. Several protesters were arrested while some were injured. On Wednesday, the government reimposed a nationwide nighttime curfew and announced a ban on public gatherings, citing a spike and coronavirus infections linked to the Omicron variant. Several politicians and civil society activists, however, have said that the decision was politically motivated to prevent any commemorative demonstrations of uh, January the 14th anniversary or anti-government protests. Now, last July, Tunisian President Thais Saeed uh, dismissed the government and suspended the parliament. Uh, he uh, assumed that many of the powers uh, of the state. His critics have called the measures a coup d'etat, and Saeed's subsequently consolidation of power has uh, sparked these demonstrations. Uh, some, of course, are demonstrating in support of him, while others are demonstrating in opposition to him. And with that, uh, we're going to conclude uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment of the Pan-African Journal. In concluding this segment, we want to remind our listeners that the Pan-African Newswire is an international electronic press service. It is designed to foster intelligent discussions on the affairs of African people throughout the continent and the world. The press agency was founded in January of 1998, and since then, it has published thousands upon thousands of articles and dispatches in various newspapers, uh, magazines, journals, research reports, and on blogs and websites throughout the world. The Pan-African Newswire represents the only daily international news source on Pan-African and global affairs. And if you'd like to log on to uh, the Pan-African Newswire, so you can stay abreast of uh, some of the most pressing and burning issues of the day, all you have to do is go to our website at panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. And if you'd like to have access to today's Pan-African Journal, worldwide radio broadcast, just go to the Pan-African Radio Network. That's at blogtalkradio.com 
forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. You can have access to today's program uh, for Saturday, January 15, 2022, as well as over 1,100 other archived editions of the Pan-African Journal. And we'll take a break. We'll be back with more of our program for this week. Holloway, and with uh, That's All You've Got to Do. And uh, as we mentioned earlier, uh, today uh, represents the 93rd uh, birthday of the martyred Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, who was born on January the 15th, 1929, and was uh, assassinated on April 4th of 1968. Uh, We want to uh, bring you a lecture uh, that he delivered uh, at the National Conference for New Politics. Uh, that was held during Labor Day weekend in the United States in 1967, uh, less than a year uh, before uh, his assassination. And Dr. King, uh, in this speech, 
is speaking to thousands of uh, progressive uh, activists and organizers from across the United States uh, who were discussing uh, alternative politics to the Democratic and the Republican Party, uh, which encompassed uh, many uh, aspects of the struggle, support for black liberation, support for civil rights. Uh, The anti-war struggle uh, was at the top of the agenda, as well as other issues. So let's listen uh, to uh, Dr. King's speech uh, from uh, 1967 uh, at the National Conference for New Politics. Chairman, friends and brothers in this first gathering of the National Conference on New Politics, ladies and gentlemen, can you hear me in the back? I don't know if the Klan is in here tonight or not with all the trouble we're having with these microphones. <laughs> and seldom, if ever, has, we're still working with it. As I was about to say, seldom, if ever, has such a diverse and a truly ecumenical gathering convened under the aegis of politics in our nation. And I want to commend the leadership of the National Conference on New Politics for all of the great work that they have done in making this significant convention possible. Indeed, by our very nature, we affirm that something new is taking place on the American political horizon. We have come here from the dusty plantations of the Deep South and the depressing ghettos of the North. We have come from the great universities and the flourishing suburbs. We have come from Appalachian poverty and from conscience-stricken wealth, but we have come. And we have come here because we shared a common concern for the moral health of our nation. We have come because our eyes have seen through the superficial glory and glitter of our society and observe the coming of judgment. Like the prophet of old, we have read the handwriting on the wall. We have seen our nation weighed in the balance of history and found wanting. We have come because we see this 
as a dark hour in the affairs of men. For most of us, this is a new mood. We are traditionally the idealists. We are the marchers from Mississippi and Selma and Washington who staked our lives on the American dream during the first half of this decade. Many assembled here campaigned deciduously for Lyndon Johnson in 1964 because we could not stand idly by and watch our nation contaminated by the 18th century policies of Goldwaterism. We were the hardcore activists who were willing to believe that Southerners could be reconstructed in the constitutional image. We were the dreamers of a dream, that dark yesterdays of man's inhumanity to man would soon be transformed into bright tomorrows of justice. Now it is hard to escape the disillusionment of betrayal. Our hopes have been blasted and our dreams have been shattered. The promise of a great society was shipwrecked off the coast of Asia on the dreadful peninsula of Vietnam. The poor black and white, the poor black and white are still perishing on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. What happens to a dream deferred? It leads to bewildering frustration and corroding bitterness. I came to see this in a personal experience here in Chicago last summer. And all the speaking that I have done in the United States before varied audiences, including some hostile whites, the only time that I have ever been booed was one night in our regular weekly mass meeting by some angry young men of our movement. I went home that night with an ugly feeling. Selfishly, I thought of my sufferings and sacrifices over the last 12 years. Why would they boo one so close to them? But as I lay awake thinking, I finally came to myself, and I could not for the life of me have less in patience and understanding for those young men. For 12 years, I and others like me had held out radiant promises of progress. I had preached to them about my dream. I had lectured to them about the night too distant day when they would have freedom all here now. I had urged them to have faith in America and in white society. Their hopes had soared. They were now booing me because they felt that we were unable to deliver on our promises. They were booing because we had urged them to have faith in people who had too often proved to be unfaithful. They were now hostile because they were watching the dream that they had so readily accept, accepted turn into a frustrating nightmare. And this situation is all the more ominous in view of the rising expectations of men the world over. The deep rumblings that we hear today 
The rumbling of discontent is the thunder of disinherited masses rising from dungeons of oppression to the bright hills of freedom. All over the world, like a fever, freedom is spreading in the widest liberation movement in history. The great masses of people are determined to end the exploitation of their races and lands. And in one majestic chorus, they are singing in the words of our freedom song, ain't gonna let nobody turn us around. And so the collision course is set. The people cry for freedom, and the Congress attempts to legislate repression. Millions, yes, billions, are appropriated for mass murder. But the most meager pittance of foreign aid for international development is crushed in the surge of reaction. Unemployment rages at a major depression level in the black ghettos. But the bipartisan response is an anti-riot bill rather than a serious poverty program. <laughs> the modest proposals for a model city's rent supplement and rat control, pitiful as they were to begin with, get caught in the maze of congressional inaction. And I submit to you tonight that a Congress that proves to be more anti-Negro than anti-rat needs to be dismissed. that our legislative assemblies have adopted Nero as their patron saint and are bent on fiddling while our cities burn. <laughs> Even when the people persist and in the face of great obstacles develop indigenous leadership and self-help approaches to their problems and finally tread the forest of bureaucracy to obtain existing government funds. The corrupt political order seeks to crush even this beginning of hope. The case of CDGM in Mississippi is the most publicized example, but it is a story repeated many times across our nation. Our own experience here in Chicago is especially painful at present. After an enthusiastic approval by HEW's Department of Adult Education, SCLC began an adult literacy project to aid 1,000 young men and women who have been pushed out of overcrowded ghetto schools 
in obtaining basically literacy skills prerequisite to receiving jobs. We had an agreement with A&P stores for 750 jobs through SCLC's job program, Operation Breadbasket, and had recruited over 500 pupils the first week. At that point, Congressman Kuczynski and the Daily Machine intervened and demanded that Washington cut off our funds or channel them through the machine control poverty program in Chicago. Now we have no problem with administrative supervision, but we do have a desire to be independent of machine control and the Democratic Party patronage network. For this desire for a politically independent approach to the needs of our brothers, our funds are being stopped as of September 15th, and a very meaningful program discontinued. Yes, the hour is dark. Evil comes forth in the guise of good. It is a time of double talk when men in high places have a high blood pressure of deceptive rhetoric and an anemia of concrete performance. We crowd against welfare handouts to the poor, but generously approve an oil depletion allowance to make the rich richer. Six Mississippi plantations receive more than a million dollars a year not to plant cotton, but no provision is made to feed the tenant farmer who is put out of work by the government subsidy. Crowning achievement in hypocrisy must go to those staunch Republicans and Democrats of the Midwest and West who were given land by our government when they came here as immigrants from Europe. They were given education through the land-grant colleges. They were provided with agricultural agents to keep them abreast of farming trends. They were granted low interest loans to aid in the mechanization of their farms. And now that they have succeeded in becoming successful, they are paid not to farm. And these are the same people who now say to black people whose ancestors were brought to this country in chains and who were emancipated in 1863 without being given land to cultivate a bread to eat, that they must pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. What, what they truly advocate is socialism for the rich and capitalism for the poor.
I wish that I could say that this is just a passing phase in the cycle of our nation's life. Certainly times of war, times of reaction throughout the society. But I suspect that we are now experiencing the coming to the surface of a triple-pronged sickness that has been lurking within our body politic from its very beginning. That is the sickness of racism, excessive materialism, and militarism. Not only is this our nation's dilemma, it is the plague of Western civilization. As early as 1906, W.E.B. Du Bois prophesied that the problem of the 20th century will be the problem of the color line. Now as we stand two-thirds into this crucial period of history, we know full well that racism is still that hound of hell which dogs the tracks of our civilization. Ever since the birth of our nation, white America has had a schizophrenic personality on the question of race. She has been torn between cells, a self in which she proudly professed the great principles of democracy and a self in which she madly practiced the antithesis of democracy. This tragic duality has produced a strange indecisiveness and ambivalence toward the Negro, causing America to take a step backward simultaneously with every step forward on the question of racial justice, to be at once attracted to the Negro and repelled by him, to love and to hate him. And there has never been a solid, unified, and determined thrust to make justice a reality for Afro-Americans. The step backward has a new name today. It is called the white backlash, but the white backlash is nothing new. It is the surfacing of old prejudices, hostilities, and ambivalences that have always been there. It was caused neither, it was caused neither by the cry of black power, nor by the unfortunate re recent wave of riots in our cities. The white backlash of today is rooted in the same problem that has characterized America ever since the black man landed in chains on the shores of this nation. <laughs> this does not imply that all white Americans are racist. Far from it, many white people have, through a deep moral compulsion fought long and hard for racial justice. Nor does it mean that America has made no progress in her attempt to cure the body politic of the disease of racism, or that the dogma of racism has not been considerably modified in recent years. However, for the good of America, it is necessary to refute the idea that the dominant ideology in our country, even today, is freedom and equality, while racism is just an occasional departure from the norm 
on the part of a few bigoted extremists, racism can well be that corrosive evil that will bring down the curtain on Western civilization. Arnold Tornberg has said that some 26 civilizations have risen upon the face of the earth. Almost all of them have descended into the junk heaps of destruction. The decline and fall of these civilizations, according to Tornby, was not caused by external invasions, but by internal decay. They failed to respond creatively to the challenges impinging upon them. If America does not respond creatively to the challenge to banish racism, some future historian will have to say that a great civilization died because it lacked the soul and commitment to make justice a reality for all men. The second aspect of our afflicted society is extreme materialism. An Asian writer has portrayed our dilemma in candid terms. He says, you call your thousand material devices labor-saving machinery, yet you are forever busy with the multiplying of your machinery. You grow increasingly fatigued, anxious, nervous, dissatisfied. Whatever you have, you want more. And wherever you are, you want to go somewhere else. Your devices are neither time-saving nor soul-saving machinery. There are so many sharp spurs which urge you on to invent more machinery and to do more business. This tells us something about our civilization that cannot be cast aside as a prejudice charge by an Eastern thinker who is jealous of Western prosperity. We cannot escape the indictment. This does not mean that we must turn back the clock of scientific progress. No one can overlook the wonders that science has wrought for our lives. The automobile will not abdicate in favor of the horse and buggy, or the train in favor of the stagecoach, or the tractor in favor of the hand plow, of the scientific method in favor of ignorance and superstition. But our moral lag must be redeemed when scientific power outruns moral power. We end up with guided missiles and misguided men. When we foolishly maximize the minimum and minimize the maximum, we sign the warrant for our own day of doom. It is this moral lag in our thing-oriented society that blinds us to the human realities around us and encourages us in the greed and exploitation which create the sector of poverty in the midst of wealth. Again, we have deluded ourselves into believing the myth that capitalism grew and prospered 
out of the Protestant ethic of hard work and sacrifice. The fact is that capitalism was built on the exploitation and suffering of black slaves. and continues to thrive on the exploitation of the poor, both black and white, both here and abroad. If Negroes and poor whites do not participate in the free flow of wealth within our economy, they will forever be poor, giving their energy, their talents, and their limited funds to the consumer market, but reaping few benefits and services in return. The way to end poverty is to end the exploitation of the poor, ensure them, ensure them a fair share of the government's services and the nation's resources. I propose recently that a national agency be established to provide employment for everyone needing it. Nothing is more socially inexcusable than unemployment in this age. In the 30s, when the nation was bankrupt, it instituted such an agency, the WPA. In the present conditions of a nation glutted with resources, it is barbarous to condemn people desiring work to soul-sapping inactivity and poverty. And I am convinced that even this one massive act of concern would do more than all the state police and armies of the nation to quell riots and still hatreds. And the tragedy is that our materialistic culture does not possess the statesmanship necessary to do it. Victor Hugo could have been thinking of 20th century America when he wrote, there's always more misery among the lower classes than there is humanity in the higher classes. <laughs> the time has come for America to face the inevitable choice between materialism and humanism. We must devote at least as much to our children's education and the health of the poor as we do to the care of our automobiles and the building of beautiful, impressive hotels. <laughs> we must also realize that the problems of racial injustice and economic injustice cannot be solved without a radical redistribution of political and economic power. We must further recognize that the ghetto is a domestic colony. Black people must develop programs that will aid in the transfer of power and wealth into the hands of residents of the ghetto so that they may, in reality, control their own destinies.
This is the meaning of new politics. People of goodwill in the larger community must support the black man in this effort. The final phase of our national sickness is the disease of militarism. Nothing more clearly demonstrates our nation's abuse of military power than our tragic adventure in Vietnam. This war has played havoc with the destiny of the entire world. It has torn up the Geneva Agreement. It has seriously impaired the United Nations. It has exacerbated the hatred between continents and, worse still, between races. It has frustrated our development of home, at home, telling our own underprivileged citizens that we place insatiable military demands above their most critical needs. It has greatly contributed to the forces of reaction in America and strengthened the military-industrial complex. And it has practically destroyed Vietnam and left thousands of American and Vietnamese youth maimed and mutilated and expose the whole world to the risk of nuclear warfare. Above all, the war in Vietnam has revealed what Senator Fulbright calls our nation's arrogance of power. We are, we are arrogant in professing to be concerned about the freedom of foreign nations while not setting our own house in order. Many of our senators and congressmen vote joyously to appropriate billions of dollars for the war in Vietnam. And many of these same senators and congressmen vote loudly against a fair housing bill to make it possible for a Negro veteran of Vietnam to purchase a decent home. We arm Negro soldiers to kill on foreign battlefields, but offer little protection for their relatives from beatings and killings in our own South. We are willing to make the Negro 100% of a citizen in warfare, but reduce him to 50% of a citizen on American soil. No war in our nation's history has ever been so violative of our conscience, our natural, national interests, and so destructive of our moral standing before the world. No enemy has ever been able to cause such damage to us as we inflict upon ourselves. The inexorable decay of our urban centers has flared into terrifying domestic conflict as the pursuit of foreign war absorbs our wealth and energy. Squalor and poverty scar our cities as our military might destroys cities in a far-off land to support oligarchy to intervene in domestic conflict. The president who cherishes consensus for peace has intensified the war. 
in answer to a cry to stop the war. It has brought tauntingly to one minute's flying time from China to a moment before the midnight of world conflagration. We are offered a tax for war instead of a plan for peace. Men of reason should no longer debate the merits of war or means of financing war. They should end the war and restore sanity and humanity to American policy. And if the will of the people continues to be unheeded, all men of goodwill must create a situation in which the 1967-68 elections are made a referendum on the war. The American people... The American people must have an opportunity to vote into oblivion those who cannot detach themselves from militarism and those who lead us and so we are here because we believe we hope we pray that something new might emerge in the political life of this nation which will produce a new man new structures and institutions and a new life for mankind I am convinced that this new life will not emerge until our nation undergoes a radical revolution of values. When machines, when machines and computers, profit motives and property rights are considered more important than people, the giant triplets of racism, economic exploitation and militarism are incapable of being conquered. A civilization can flounder as readily in the face of moral bankruptcy as it can through financial bankruptcy. A true revolution of values will soon cause us to question the fairness and justice of many of our past and present policies. We are called to play the Good Samaritans on life's roadside, but that will only be an initial act. One day the whole Jericho Road must be transformed so that men and women will not be beaten and robbed as they make their journey through life. True compassion is more than flinging a coin to a beggar. It understands that an edifice which produces beggars needs restructuring. A true revolution of values will soon look uneasily on the glaring contrast of poverty and wealth. With righteous indignation, it will look at thousands of working people displaced from their jobs with reduced income as a result of automation, while the profits of the employers remain intact and say this is not just. It will look across the oceans and see individual capitalists of the West 
investing huge sums of money in Asia and Africa only to take the profits out with no concern for the social betterment of the countries and say this is not just. It will look at our alliance with the landed gentry of Latin America and say this is not just. A true revolution of values will lay hands on the world order and say of war, this way of settling differences is not just. This business of burning human beings with napalm, of filling our nation's homes with orphans and widows, of injecting poisonous drugs of hate into the veins of peoples normally humane, of sending men home from dark and bloody battlefields physically handicapped and psychologically deranged, cannot be reconciled with wisdom, justice, and love, a nation that continues year after year to spend more money on military defense than on programs of social uplift is approaching spiritual death. So what we must all see is that these are revolutionary times. All over the globe, men are revolting against old systems of exploitation, and out of the wounds of a frail world, new systems and of justice and equality are being born. The shirtless and barefoot people of the earth are rising up as never before. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. We in the West must support these revolutions. It is a sad fact that because of comfort, complacency, a morbid fear of communism, and our proneness to adjust to injustice, the Western nations that initiated so much of the revolutionary spirit of the modern world have now become the arch anti-revolutionaries. This has driven many to feel that only Marxism has the revolutionary spirit. Communism is a judgment. And in a sense, communism is a judgment of our failure to make democracy real and to follow through on the revolutions that we initiated. Our only hope today lies in our ability to recapture the revolutionary spirit and go out into a sometimes hostile world declaring eternal opposition to poverty, racism, and militarism. With this powerful commitment, we shall boldly challenge the status quo and unjust mores and thereby speed the day when every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places plain. May I say in conclusion that that is a need now more than ever before for men and, win, men and women in our nation to be creatively maladjusted. Mr. Davis said, and 
And I say to you that I choose to be among the maladjusted. As my good friend Bill Coffin said, there are those who have criticized me and many of you for taking a stand against the war in Vietnam and for seeking to say to the nation that the issues of civil rights cannot be separated from the issues of peace. I want to say to you tonight that I intend to keep these issues mixed because they are mixed. Somewhere we must see that justice is indivisible. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And I have fought, fought now too long and too hard against segregated public accommodations to end up at this point in my life segregating my moral concern. And so let us stand in this convention knowing that on some positions cowardice asks the question, is it safe? Expediency asks the question, is it politic? Vanity asks the question, is it popular? But conscience asks the question, is it right? And on some positions, And on some positions, it is necessary for the moral individual to take a stand that is neither safe, nor politic, nor popular, but he must do it because it is right. tonight, we say to our government, we even say to our FBI, we will not be harassed, we will not make a butchery of our conscience, we will not be intimidated, and we will be heard.
Welcome back. Uh, that was uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, the president at the time, uh, speaking uh, before an audience of thousands at the National Conference of New Politics uh, in Chicago, Illinois, during uh, Labor Day weekend of 1967, uh, just uh, eight months uh, prior uh, to uh, Dr. King's assassination on April 4th of 1968. And uh, we'll take a break. We'll be back with more of the Pan-African Journal for this week. Saturday, January 15th, uh, 2022. We're broadcasting live 
from our studios in downtown Detroit. We'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in once again uh, to yet another edition of the Pan-African Journal Worldwide uh, Radio Broadcast. And, uh, of course, uh, as we mentioned earlier, um, this weekend is a holiday weekend uh, in the United States and, indeed, around the world. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, who would have been 93 years old today, his federally recognized holiday is Monday, uh, January 17th, uh, 2022. It is a federal holiday in the United States and has been since 1986. Uh, Here in Detroit, where we're broadcasting from, uh, you can uh, listen to the the Detroit uh, Martin Luther King uh, virtual uh, 19th annual rally. Uh, you can go to our Facebook page at MLK Day Detroit on Facebook. You could also uh, go to the website MLKDetroit.org, MLKDetroit.org to get the contact information so you can register uh, and participate in this awesome gathering on Monday. This is the second year that the uh, Martin Luther King Day activities have been held virtually um, since, um, of course, the pandemic, which has swept the state of Michigan, the city of Detroit, and indeed uh, the entire globe. Right now, we want to move uh, into uh, the Africa Live uh, to get updated on some of the most pressing and uh, burning issues of the day. Uh, let's uh, listen to uh, Africa Live uh, broadcast uh, from the China Global Television Network. And of course, uh, we are uh, bringing uh, these programs to you uh, as a addition uh, to uh, information that is uh, not necessarily widely available here in the United States and indeed around the world. Let's listen in. This is CGTN, China Global Television Network. Hello and welcome to The World Today. I'm Richard Ntai in Nairobi. Here's what's ahead. The United States says it can help Ukraine investigate a cyber attack on government websites. Australia detains world tennis number one Novak Djokovic again after his visa was canceled for a second time. And Malians take to the streets after the military junta calls for protests against sanctions. Once again, welcome to the world today. Let's begin with the Djokovic visa saga. The world number one tennis player is in detention in Australia, and the country's immigration minister has canceled the unvaccinated player's visa for a second time, just days before the start of the Australian Open. Greg Navarro has the story. If Novak Djokovic was hoping to find sympathy in Melbourne, the host city of the Australian Open, and one of the most locked down cities in the world, he'd be disappointed. Maybe everyone here is so sick of being under so many strict rules. They think everyone else should, well, you, you'll abide by them too. We've done the hard yards, maybe you can do it too. He's an anti-vaxxer who doesn't have the nerve or, or, or constitution to come out and say he's an anti-vaxxer. Um, 
I have no time for him at all. Last Friday, Australia's immigration minister cancelled the Serbian tennis player's visa for a second time on health and good order grounds. Documents show he believed a high-profile person such as Djokovic could pose a risk to Australians by causing an increase in anti-vaccination sentiment. Djokovic's lawyers have asked for an emergency hearing before a federal judge to make their case for why he should remain. Legal analysts say the timing of the release of the government's long-awaited decision was in part a strategic move to give Djokovic's legal team as little time as possible to try to mount a defense and keep him in the country ahead of Monday's start to the Australian Open. The defending Australian Open men's champion originally applied for and received a medical exemption to the tournament because he had contracted COVID last month. All players and staff must be fully vaccinated to attend this year's Open. Well, I think as long as um, the exemption is valid and they have valid reasons, I don't see a problem with that. But Australia's government did have a problem with that, requiring all overseas visitors to be fully vaccinated. Djokovic's visa was cancelled when he arrived earlier this month and he was detained for several hours. Rules are rules. And there are no special cases. The case went before a federal judge who overturned that cancellation, ruling that Djokovic didn't have enough time to respond. It now appears that Djokovic misled Australian authorities on his entry declaration relating to overseas travel in the prior two weeks, and he acknowledged that he took part in an interview with a French journalist while he was infected with COVID-19 last month. It just seems like it's dragged on for quite a long time now, and yeah, not great for the, for the tennis, not great for the Australian Open, not great for Novak. If his lawyers are unsuccessful, Djokovic faces deportation and could be banned from returning to Australia for up to three years. Greg Navarro, CGTN, Sydney. On Friday, Serbian President Alexander Vucic accused Canberra of persecuting the tennis star and the nation of Serbia, where residents have voiced support for Djokovic. Al Joseph Milikovic has more from Belgrade. Serbian state-owned TV interrupted their usual programming on Friday to go to a live report from Australia following the decision of the immigration minister. The news to revoke Novak Djokovic's visa wasn't unexpected in Serbia. Local media had been speculating that the Australian government might revoke the visa for the world number one tennis player for days now. And many in Serbia believe this decision has nothing to do with Novak's alleged breaching of Australia's immigration rules. But it is politically motivated. I don't like this at all. It's all about the politics. And Novak will suffer the most consequences. It's because politics entered sports. But Djokovic is also to blame because he didn't take the vaccine. There has to be some respect for him, to Novak Djokovic. He's the icon of Serbia, of the Balkans and Europe. This wouldn't happen if Nadal did the same. It's all because he's Serb. Close attention has been paid to the statements of Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison. Many here believe that Djokovic's case is being used to improve his political position ahead of the national elections. There's also a belief the Australian government is trying to refocus the public away from an unprecedented spike of new COVID cases to Djokovic's refusal to get a COVID vaccine. As lawyers for Djokovic weigh up his options, many in Serbia will be staying glued to the news outlets as they wait to see whether the country's sporting hero will be allowed to take part in the Australian Open, 
next week. Aljoša Milenković, CGTN, Belgrade. Let's turn our attention to the Ukraine tensions now. The United States and its allies have offered support to Ukraine as the investigation on a cyber attack that targeted the country continues. Ukrainian government uh, websites were hacked with warnings to, quote, be afraid and expect the worst, close quote, as a massive cyber attack hit the country. It caused sites to go offline, including the one of the defense ministry. Ukrainian state security service claimed there were signs of Russian involvement in the hack. Moscow had no comments on this. The attack comes amid a buildup of troops on the Russian-Ukrainian border. A series of talks aimed at diffusing tensions have failed to achieve any breakthroughs. You know, certainly well, for more, we and many Western countries are waiting to see really what Russia's response may be. Um, and of course, uh, Vladimir Putin, the Russian president, has promised a military response of some sort uh, should some of Russia's key demands not be met. Um, as, as you say, we're standing at a, at a military training camp um, at the moment. Ukraine's army uh, is a very different prospect from what it was even a few years ago. It's a country that's spending about 4% of its GDP uh, on defence now. Um, a standing army of 225,000 or more, 900,000 reservists. Um, it has bolstered its defences and of course it's had a lot of um, Western money, Western aid come in to support its military as well. But um, there are 100,000 plus Russian troops on the border with Ukraine at the moment. Um, Russia has a standing army uh, of one million um, and many more reservists. But what Ukraine, or one of the things that Ukraine is counting on as a deterrent, uh, or perhaps as well um, to make a full Russian invasion of Ukraine very difficult, is a civil defence programme. Uh, and so what you're seeing behind me here is part of a much wider programme taking place right across Ukraine to train up civilians. Um, there is polling to show that popularity and support for Russia uh, over the last few years has dropped significantly, certainly in this part of Ukraine. Uh, and so there is uh, an approach, this is part of it, um, of building up a civil resistance um, that should a Russian invasion occur, uh, you know, might la make life very difficult um, for Russian forces. Uh, important to point out that Russian Vladimir Putin continues to maintain that Russia has no plans to invade Ukraine, um, but he is promising uh, military technical measures of some sort. Uh, and training programs like this have been stepped up in recent months, and they are very much part of trying to deter uh, and potentially resist any Russian incursion. In other news, thousands of people protested in Mali on Friday in response to calls for demonstrations by the military junta over further sanctions imposed by the nation by ECOWAS. The West African bloc imposed the sanctions in response to delayed elections in Mali that had been previously set for February. The military, however, proposed staying in power for up to five years before staging the polls. The press sanctions have been supported by France, the United States, and the European Union. Despite the pressure, many in Mali have rallied behind the military junta. Colonel Asima Goita, who first took power in a coup in August 2020, has dubbed the sanctions as inhumane and extreme. We have come for the cause of the country. Let everyone come out. Let all the Muslims come out to support the country. 
As a Malian proverb says, when the tam-tam sounds and calls the sons of the country, we answer the call. That's why I'm here. Mali has called everyone today. All the children of Mali came out in response today as our national anthem says. The press sanctions include the withdrawal of ECOWAS ambassadors in Mali, the closure of land and air borders between ECOWAS countries and Mali, and the suspension of all transactions between ECOWAS member states and Mali. Sanctions by the economic community of West African states have drawn a strong response from Malian people. As we have said, the Malian people do not deserve these sanctions. In no case should the people of Mali be sanctioned in this manner. These people have done nothing wrong and I think those responsible for the chaos in Mali are well known. At the beginning, ECOWAS had taken targeted sanctions against the political authorities who do not want to take concrete actions that could bring us to the end of the transition. ECOWAS is determined to stay the course and not lose face. The sub-regional organization wants to be credible but is no longer credible. ECOWAS is no longer credible because we have seen that in some countries, presidents have made constitutional revisions to extend the mandate at the head of their country, and it has done nothing. This way of doing things is likely to prove that this institution is no longer credible. It is not an organization at the service of the people, but at the service of certain heads of state. The office of British Prime Minister Boris Johnson has apologized to the Queen after reports revealed two staff parties at Downing Street breaking COVID restrictions and the day before Prince Philip's funeral. Reports said Johnson's staff partied in Downing Street and his residence last April when mixing indoors was banned for people from different households. On top of that, it was a period of national mourning for the Queen's husband. The United Kingdom on Friday reported more than 99,000 new cases. It is a decline compared to the week before, and the country's health authorities said that there is now, quote, high confidence, close quote, that Omicron is relatively mild for most adults. The World Health Organization, however, has warned that more studies are still needed to prove it. Well, that's it for this edition of The World Today. I'll be back shortly with more news from the continent in Africa Live. Thanks for watching. This is it. I'm just about to be shot. Prince here. Bottles are being thrown as they do so. Uh, we there are about three critical <laughs> bridges <laughs> here in Malawi. That's one of them. We're going to cross that bridge. As you can see behind me, police forces who are replying with gas. Gas just came in. So it's all begun now. Divisions leading the charge into West Mosul have brought us here. This is where most of the fighting has been concentrated. This is the front line now after nine days of fighting. We're about two to three kilometers from the front clear line. view of this front line position.
This is CGTN, China Global Television Network. Malians take to the streets after the military junta calls for protests against sanctions. Ethiopia prepares for national dialogue to resolve political differences. And 12 in custody in Burkina Faso over destabilization plot. Hello and welcome to Africa Live. As always, great to have you with us. I'm Richard Ntah, live in Nairobi. And for those of you joining us from across the continent and around the globe, we thank you for joining us. Let's take a look at other stories making headlines this hour. The Africa Continental Free Trade Area launches a new cross-border payment system. And in sports, the finalists, 2019 finalists, Senegal draw nil-nil with rivals Guinea in their Group B Africa Cup of Nations encounter. Once again, welcome to Africa Live. Great to have you along with us for this hour. We begin in West Africa where... Thousands of people protested in Mali on Friday in response to calls for demonstrations by the military junta over further sanctions imposed by, on the nation by ECOWAS. The regional bloc imposed the sanctions in response to delayed elections in Mali that had been previously set for February. The military, however, proposed staying in power for up to five years before staging the polls. The fresh sanctions have been supported by France the United States, and the European Union. Despite the pressure, many in Mali have rallied behind the military junta. Colonel Asima Goita, who first took power in a coup in August 2020, has dubbed the sanctions as inhumane and extreme. We have come for the cause of the country. Let everyone come out. Let all the Muslims come out to support the country. As a Malian proverb says, when the tam-tam sounds and calls the sons of the country, we answer the call. That's why I'm here. Mali has called everyone today. All the children of Mali came out in response today as our national anthem says. The United Nations is urging Mali's ruling junta to announce an election timetable amid anger over its decision to delay elections. UN Chief Antonio Guterres says this could improve relations between Mali and the international community, in particular the West African bloc, ECOWAS. ECOWAS' decision establishing that if Malian government presents an acceptable timeline and takes step in that direction, then there will be gradual lifting of functions. And of course, I'm working with ECOWAS and the African Union to create conditions which can allow the government of Mali to adopt a reasonable and acceptable position to accelerate a transition which has already been underway for a long time. The press sanctions include the withdrawal of all ECOWAS ambassadors in Mali, the closure of land and air borders between ECOWAS countries and Mali, and the suspension of all transactions between ECOWAS member states and Mali. All right, let's bring in Obigwe Aguegu, policy analyst at Development Reimagined. He specializes in geopolitics with particular reference to Africa. Welcome to Africa Live. Thank you for taking time to speak to us. Uh, let's talk about this in a little deeper. Huge support there for the military. Are Malians not worried about the impact the sanctions will have on them? Yeah, thanks for having me. 
I would say they are worried. The concerns are, are there because um, when when you sanction, of course, it means the country will lose access to certain goods and, and, and services. However, you have to understand that this, the, the current military government has a lot of supporters that believe in, the, in, in leadership, and to a large extent, both the leadership and protesters on the street did expect or anticipate these sanctions because there is a script ECOWAS usually follows in response you know, uh, to coup. So while the support is there, uh, knowing fully well that the trust, uh, the trust of leader, the leadership to be able to navigate past these sanctions, I see that's why you see a lot of supporters you know, on the street. But uh, going forward, I think the, the, the military government will, be, will should focus on how to get around these sanctions because when these sanctions begin to bite, we might begin to see some of those you know, uh, support being, being lost to the economic you know, and social pressures that the sanctions can cause. All right, with what you said, the people anticipated this, the military anticipated this. Now, the military leaders are promising to put all measures in place to ensure Malians do not suffer. With the Malian leaders seemingly unwilling to cooperate with ECOWAS, what happens next for the country and the regions of Igwe? Well, I think you have to understand that ECOWAS is the 15-member bloc, and not all 15 you know, have have come out in support of, of the uh, border closure. So you recall that in September last year, there was a coup in, in, in Guinea as, as well. So following the announcement that of first sanctions to close borders, stop financial transactions with, uh, with Mali, uh, Guinea did you know, uh, announce that they will not be in support. And Mali being a landlocked country, that a, 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 an equal sanction is essentially an economic blockade. So what you then have is one country, Guinea, that borders Mali directly, still retains its border uh, access and uh, border uh, remains open with Mali. So that gives Mali some form of uh, access to, you know, uh, to, to the sea because Mali does have, uh, Guinea does have uh, sea access. So to a large extent, I think I, I, I foresee the military government capitalizing on this, on, on this opportunity to further you know, uh, cooperate with Guinea and see that as, as a way to provide goods and goods in particular that would uh, prevent any form of social unrest in the country. However, how they will go move forward is they are in, a, in some form of dilemma. The Malian government has to 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 act or at least to show that the sanctions are effective in order to make military intervention unnecessary. So I think for them to do that, they would ha then have to make some concessions, you know, in terms of their negotiation with, with, with ECOWAS. But uh, it, it remains to be seen if they were able to do that, because ECOWAS in this, in this sense now doesn't have much you know, to lose. So they, 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 they will have to find a way to get ECOWAS around, around the, the table on ways to see where, where both sides can meet each other midpoint. All right. Well, there you have it. Thousands protest over fresh ECOWAS sanctions. ECOWAS imposes fresh restrictions over election delays. All right, Ovigwe, Oguegu, thank you for your insight and analysis. Let's turn our attention now to Ethiopia, uh, where the country is preparing to stage a national dialogue. The process aims to resolve political differences, including over the ongoing civil war in the northern Tigray region. Ahead of the National Dialogue, the government has released a number of political prisoners. As CGTN's Groom Chala reports, opposition leaders are already proposing a new national constitution. Preparations are now underway by Ethiopian authorities to stage the much-anticipated 
all-inclusive national dialogue. Addis Ababa believes this would be a forum that can deliver key answers to seeking political questions and differences of the country. We have worked alongside other stakeholders for the upcoming all-inclusive national dialogue to be a story of success. We expect this dialogue to guarantee long-lasting peace and all stakeholders have deliberated on which kinds of decisive political measures should be taken. These discussions intended to successfully hold the national dialogue took ample time and were held between the parties and the government. In preparation for the talks, Ethiopia has released dozens of well-known political prisoners. High-profile names include Jawar Mohammed and Skinder Nega. In the latest press conference since his release from prison, Skinder said his party will demand a change of the current Ethiopian constitution. The main agenda we'll present in the national dialogue is a change of the existing constitution of the country. One cannot make any dictator regime into a democratic one through any reforms. There is no such global experience. Those nations which transformed from dictatorship to democracy have devised a new constitution. Fact check, Addis Ababa promises the national dialogue will be democratic and transparent. Based on its last experience, the government is building strong institutions, and these institutions are working freely, basing themselves on the national interest of the people. Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed has promised a national dialogue to bring all political stakeholders together to discuss grievances which include regional border issues, the question of identity, constitutional reforms and amendments, among other issues. Ethiopia. The U.S. State Department has warned Somali leaders against further delays to the indirect parliamentary elections and threatened to impose targeted sanctions, including visa restrictions. The ongoing elections have been repeatedly delayed after it failed to conclude on schedule. Mohamed Kahia has the details from the capital, Mogadishu. The U.S. has asked Somali leaders to appear to new election timeline and conclude the parliamentary elections by 25th February. The process was delayed several times before, following disagreements among Somali leaders. Analysts say Washington is impatient with the delay of Somali election process that has created security tensions in the country. One could read uh, the American treatment as a leverage uh, to pressure Somali politicians uh, to expedite uh, elections, and Americans will not tolerate uh, any delays of Somali elections. And a significant number of Somali politicians have uh, a Western uh, passport or citizenships, and any visa restrictions may will have uh, a first impact on them. Analysts also link the tone used by the State Department to changes at the White House. It's the change of, uh, of, of, of administration in, in the U.S., in Washington, in which uh, Joe Biden uh, wants to see elections taking place in Africa. Uh, he wants to counter the, the rights of population in the, in, the, in the horn and in the channel of the continent. So he wants to assert the American influence in Somalia. Member of Parliament say... Washington must respect international relation norms, while its recommendations to expedite elections are welcomed. Somalia 
Somalia is an independent state with its own sovereign land, air and water boundaries that need to be respected as per the United Nations Charter and the UN Security Council treaties. Therefore, all governments have the right of non-interference in its domestic affairs. The ongoing Somalia's parliamentary elections are expected to conclude towards the end of February before the schedule of the crucial presidential elections is released. Hamid Kahir, CGTN, Mogadishu, Somalia. Well, Gabon scored a late goal against Ghana to draw their Africa Cup of Nations Group C match one all. The results puts Gabon missing captain Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang with hearts lesions on the verge of the last 16. Now, for the latest on the ongoing tournament, we are joined by Njia Inal, head of the Sports Cameroon Radio. He is joining us via Zoom from Yaoundé. Welcome to Africa Live. Uh, let me begin by asking you, it's been a very eventful week for the African Championships, from referee controversy to COVID-19, and quite some interesting results. Can you give us an update on this? Well, I mean, like you do well to mention, it's been a really, really fascinating tournament this far. Um, let me start with the referee controversy because that's what's been grabbing the headlines. And it was a game um, between um, Tunisia and Mali. Uh, Mali won that game 1-0, but obviously it was um, Gianni Sikazwe, the Zambian referee, who um, ended up being the talk of the day. He actually uh, his whistle to conclude the game twice, first at the 85th minute, and then when he realized his mistake, he brought back the players onto the pitch and then blasted his whistle at the 89th minute. And the Tunisian bench obviously went furious, they were irate, they were apoplectic. And at the end of that game, the um, Tunisian coach really had some tough words. But reports reaching us was that um, uh, referee Janice Kersway suffered a hit stroke during that game. Remember that it was an early kickoff at 2 p.m in Lima in the southwest region, usually around this period of the time we have very high temperatures between 28 to 29 at times, we pick up to 32 degrees, so it wasn't very easy for him or the players, but we've had reports that um, referee Janice Sikazwe is um, getting better, that he's, he's, he's in fine fertile, obviously not the sort of um, news you want coming out of the Africa Cup of Nations, a tournament that has got a massive following. But apart from the referee controversies, and like you did well to mention, we had some really, really exciting results. Uh, and I think the most exciting of all was probably the um, draw that Sierra Leone had with Algeria. I remember the Leone stars coming into this tournament were uh, really uh, underrated. The, um, a lot of people thought, obviously, that it will be a mauling at the hands of the uh, defending champions, Algeria, who are star-studded. But it was incredible, the performance that they put up at the Giacomo Stadium. Um, tying down Algeria to uh, a goalless draw. And at the end of that game, um, the Sierra Leone goalkeeper spoke of his, his, just his happiness, the fact that he is playing in his country and that they're able to get a point against the defending uh, champions. But also, and this was a really, really palpitating fixture, Nigeria's 1-0 victory over um, Egypt, a really beautiful game uh, by all standards, absolutely incredible. And then we had the cracker last night between Gabon and Ghana that, that ended in really the most controversial circumstances. Gabon got the, the equalizer in really very doubtful um, 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 circumstances and obviously the um, Ghanaian bench wasn't very happy with that at the end of the game. 
um, Ghana's coach and even their captain, Andrayu, said they felt that they had been cheated by the reaction of the of the Ghanaian players. For uh, uh, viewers who didn't watch that game, Gabon's equalizer came about because there was a foul on a Ghanaian player. The Ghanaians had possession. They put the ball out. And when play resumed, they expected the Gabonese players to return the ball to them. But no, the Gabonese, player, the Gabonese players built up on that, and the Panthers got their equalizer later to the game. And so that leaves Ghana um, with just one option, beat Comoros in their final game to be able to sail through. But fortunately, the jinx of just one goal being scored per game was broken a few days ago by the host uh, Cameron after they thrashed Ethiopia four goals to one with Ventsabubaka upping his tally to four. And courtesy of, of, of his performances that day, he's the top scorer in the tournament with four goals. And hopefully we'll see a lot more. But it's been really exciting tournaments, great performances, and uh, really great upsets. All right. Uh, and Jay, and Jay, now so we have so many questions, but so little time. We have to leave it here for now. Thank you so much for that update and report. Much appreciated. Time now for a short break. You're watching Africa Live. We'll see you on the other side of the break with more news stories. Here's what's ahead. Twelve in custody in Burkina Faso over a destabilization plot. And South Africa Heal Authority warns of approaching fifth coronavirus wave. How will your world change today? What happens here? What happens there? Or what you make happen for yourself? If it matters to you, it matters to us too. Your stories are these stories that need to be told. Africa Live. Find your voice. Welcome back to Africa Live. Thanks for staying with us. To Burkina Faso now, where 12 people, including a senior army officer, are in custody over a plot to destabilize institutions. According to Armed Forces Minister Amy Bartholemy Sempore, the 12 are among 15 people arrested since Monday after the plot was uncovered. Those arrested include two officers, seven non-commissioned officers, a senior officer, and five civilians. Of these, according to Sempore, two civilians and a soldier have been released after giving preliminary testimony, leaving 12 in preventive detention. Sempore said the arrests were ordered by prosecutors at a military tribunal in the capital, Ouagadougou. The West African country has a long history of coups. It's currently battling a militant insurgency that swept in from neighboring Mali in 2015. 
The Ministry of the Armed Forces and Veterans presented an oral communication to the Council of Ministers to report on the referral to the Public Prosecutor's Office of the Ouagadougou Military Court, which led to the arrest of military personnel and civilians for allegedly attempting to destabilize the institutions of the state. This legal action, which was decided by the military prosecutor, follows report by a soldier who was allegedly contacted by a group of individuals to join the group in order to carry out destabilization actions against the institutions. South Africans have been warned to brace themselves for a fifth COVID-19 wave. The National De Department of Health and Health Experts announced in a virtual press briefing on Friday that even though it's unclear when the new wave is likely to hit, it is definitely coming. South Africa is currently dealing with the fourth wave of the pandemic driven by the Omicron variant. CGTN's Ulisa Njamela has more. South Africa's economic hub, the Gauteng province, has officially exited the fourth wave of COVID-19 infections. This is while the country's eight other provinces have reached their peaks of the same wave. That's according to the National Health Department and a number of health experts here. But they warn that that is no reason to celebrate yet, as the Omicron variant, which has been driving the fourth wave, is still with us. Omicron is not gone. It's here. It's only that, uh, uh, fortunately, as we have said, its, its severity has been manageable. So, so at this stage... Uh, as to when it will be completely gone, as already mentioned, we really don't know. South Africans have now been cautioned about the impending fifth wave. Health experts say while they cannot predict the timing and the severity of the next wave, they're quite certain that it will not be as severe as the first three waves. We are fairly sure they will probably be a fifth wave. Um, I think as to the timing, as we've seen with the other waves, I think very difficult to predict an exact timing. Um, but as with all the other waves, I think the, there's multiple factors which do play in. And as we've seen with all previous waves, um, it has been driven by a new variant. I think in terms of the, the fifth wave, we have to see what the um, winter months will bring. Um, you know, we have to, uh, this, this year will, will teach us whether we are moving towards a more endemic nature of SARS-CoV-2. But as, as, as long as we have ongoing transmission, there, there's a possibility of viral evolution. And so it's going to be critical for us to continue the, the, the excellent surveillance that we do and, and, try, and try and make sure we can pick up any variants that may uh, cause a, a next wave. It was also revealed in this virtual media briefing that only 40% of South Africa's adult population has been fully vaccinated against COVID-19. The government's target for vaccination is at least 70%. Yulis Njamela for CGTN in Johannesburg, South Africa. The health department in Tunisia announced that the North African country has witnessed the emergence of COVID-19 outbreaks in schools as a result of the high spread of the new Omicron variant coupled with low vaccination rates among children. More than 13,000 teachers are still unvaccinated in Tunisia. Adnan Shuashi reports. Teachers' unions in Tunisia have called for a temporary suspension of classes at schools across the country to help reduce the spread of coronavirus in educational institutions. Authorities closed several primary and secondary schools to break the chain of infection. The so-called solution of the scientific committee is not practical. It's impossible to apply preventive measures and social distancing while the classrooms are overcrowded with students. 
the health protocol does not exist in educational institutions. Face masks, hand sanitizers, and disinfection operations are not available, while the majority of students are not vaccinated. The scientific committee to combat the coronavirus recommended keeping schools open. The COVID-19 task force did not suggest a return to the rotational attendance system. The rotational attendance system is not efficient to stop infections. It's useless to study one day and to stay at home for the next day. We recommend closing any class where three students test positive and shutting down the whole school when there are positive cases in three classes. Following health protocols and vaccinating all school staff is the best solution. Many university students believe that campuses should remain open, while others are calling for shutting down all Tunisian universities. All students are wearing face masks in class. Most of us are vaccinated and social distancing is respected. Closing the campuses is useless. Unlike secondary and primary schools, universities are equipped to study online, shutting down campuses for one or two weeks will not affect us because we can study at home. It is better than spreading infections in public transport. We can later return when everyone is vaccinated. The Education Ministry revealed that no serious cases have been recorded among children affected by Omicron. The rate of vaccination among children aged between 12 and 15 years is still low in Tunisia. The Health Department in Tunisia announced that with the emergence of the Omicron variant, the COVID-19 task force decided to reduce the seven-day quarantine period. An infected student can now return to school after a five-day quarantine if their test is negative. Adnan Shabashi, CGTN, Tunis. We have our business segment up next. Don't go away. Here's what's ahead. The Africa Continental Free Trade Area launches a new cross-border payment system. Ghana's economy nears its performance before the coronavirus pandemic. Africa is the nexus of enterprise, and global business will tell you why it matters. From the mega investment projects to multi-billion dollar mergers and acquisitions. Africa today collects, just in terms of revenues from taxes alone, $545 billion. Yeah. If you take 10% of that and you devote it to the energy sector, problem solved. All this on Global Business, weekdays at this time on CGTN. Welcome back to Africa Live. We appreciate your company. Africa's new cross-border payment system was launched in Ghana's capital, Accra, on Thursday. The Pan-African Payments and Settlement System will facilitate intra-regional trade and payments by enabling the real-time transfer of funds from one African country to another. Traders have until now had to settle payments via U.S. and European banks. Its developer, the African Export-Import Bank, says the new system is expected to save the continent about $5 billion in offshore clearance and transaction costs. The system has already been piloted in the West African Monetary Zone, which includes Nigeria. It is also one of the key building blocks for the African Continental Free Trade Area, which is expected to be fully operational in 2030. The African Free Trade Area could become the world's biggest free trade zone area with a potential market of 1.2 billion people and a combined GDP 
of 2.5 trillion. And in Kenya, the government has been accused of defaulting on millions of dollars in fuel subsidy payments. The debt is sparking quite disquiet among oil marketing companies. Shareholders and stakeholders in the sector say the government has not paid a single cent for the December-January review, which amounts to about $70 million. This is in addition to other pending payments for November last year. The delays are said to be causing cash flow problems for marketers, especially independent firms that tap bank loans to pay for the fuel and foot distribution costs. The Oil Marketers Association of Kenya now say that they want the government to pay interest on delayed funds in what will come with another cost to taxpayers. Tanzania launched on Friday a project to enhance civil aviation safety oversight systems. The one million U.S. dollar project financed by China aims to build capacity in aircraft operations and to safely accommodate air traffic growth. The grant was provided by the Chinese government through its South-South Cooperation Assistance Fund. The project will be implemented for one year by the International Civil Aviation Organization. The launch ceremony was held on Friday in the commercial capital, Dar es Salaam. The project will consist, number one, providing trainings to TCAA and uh, Accident Investigation Bureau personnel, providing on the providing on-job training to TCAA and Accident Investigation Bureau staff in operations airports and air navigation services, procuring equipment, softwares, tools that are necessary and required for, the, for both uh, TCAA and Accident Investigation Bureau. The comprehensive strength of China's civil aviation industry is at the forefront of the world. And now we are striving to achieve high-quality development the Tanzanian government also pays high attention to the development of civil aviation industry. The Chinese side is willing to support Tanzania in developing its civil aviation industry and promoting its connectivity with other African countries as well as the world and China included. South Africa's Energy Minister Gwede Montashe has told Parliament that Shell's plan for seismic testing on the country's wild coast received all necessary environmental approvals. The Energy Minister also said no shortcuts had been made in the process. On December the 28th, a South African High Court blocked Royal Dutch Shell from conducting seismic testing offshore of the wild coast. This is the latest ruling in a case brought by environmental groups and residents against Shell. Environmentalists protested against Shell's plans for seismic blasting, saying its underwater acoustics are harmful to marine animals, especially migrating whales. Shell says its planned exploration has all the needed regulatory approval and it will significantly contribute to energy security if resources are found. South Africa is a net importer of petroleum products. The government is eager to source feedstock for the state-run Mossel Bay gas-to-liquid refinery, but environmentalists are pressuring oil companies to stop prospecting for oil anywhere. Ghana's economy is inching closer to pre-pandemic levels after taking a hit from the coronavirus. 
The International Monetary Fund is forecasting the West African country's economy will expand by 6.2% this year. But as Ghana's economy tries to rebound, traders say the high cost of goods and services is taking a toll on many businesses. CGTN's Nabil Akhman Rafai reports from Accra. The new year has started on a slow note for Rosina Edujenfi. She sells groceries at this market in Accra and says people are not coming to buy food. Many people have used their money to celebrate Christmas and because the groceries are now very expensive, consumers are not coming to the market. Like Rosina, other traders in this market say business is off to a poor start. Most of the things I sell here are imported. Since last year, the CD has been depreciating against the U.S. dollar, so it's now more expensive to import food products. Despite these concerns, the government says Ghana's economy looks positive this year. The IMF has projected the economy to expand by... Welcome back. And uh, that was uh, Africa Live, uh, CGTN, and that's all the time we have for this program. You've been listening to uh, the Pan-African Journal, a worldwide radio broadcast uh, for Saturday, January 15th, uh, 2022. We've been broadcasting live from our studios in uh, downtown Detroit. Let's thank all of our listeners for tuning in. Once again, uh, to yet another edition of our program, if you'd like to have access to the Pan-African Journal for today, all you need to do is log on to our website at the Pan-African Radio Network. That's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. And if you'd like to read the Pan-African Newswire so you can stay abreast of some of the most pressing and burning issues of the day, just go to our website at panafricannews.blogspot.com. We'll be closing out uh, with legendary jazz trumpeter Booker Little. Uh, from the album entitled 1960. This is Abayome Azikawe signing off and have a beautiful week.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.